evening. Welcome to Refuge, our midweek study. It's exciting to uh, get into God's Word uh, once more. Um, as the Lord tarries, we will continue to come and worship Him to grow in our understanding of God's Word and um, hopefully uh, understand more and more how to apply it uh, to His glory. You know, that is true that uh, words can never be adequate, right? But here's the thing, when our words, when they match up with our actions and there is a genuine display of our love, um, in fact, this is what um, God's word says. And that's why um, lukewarm faith um, will, it doesn't sit well in in a sense, in God's mouth, he spews you out, right? Um, I've said it time and time again. Uh, we can't be fence-sitters because we know that Satan owns a fence. There's no such thing as sitting on the fence. Um, one foot out and one foot in, no such thing. Uh, to have one foot out uh, is uh, to be completely out. Um, again, Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. And we know what is fitting a response to God's love for us is this, and that's in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The only thing that would be fitting is a complete surrender, a devotion to God. Uh, that means every part uh, of your life um, it needs to be complete, and that's how we demonstrate to him. Now, that is not without um, uh, a fight. Um, that takes deliberate action on our part to make sure we understand that, that uh, discernment is uh, critical for us, um, knowing that this is spiritual warfare that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And as we get to know the Word of God, we, we're able to discern better uh, when it is that the enemy is coming against us, and that therefore we are able to deny the flesh, deny the schemes of the enemy, and, um, and take deliberate action in siding with God and in alignment with his word. And so that's why we come in week in and week out, and we go through the word of God. Uh, we know that um, next week we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22, uh, because the whole counsel of God gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We find that in Christ Jesus our Lord, and we know that He uh, is the entirety of the Word. And so we go through, and, uh, and we know that it's, it, the Word speaks to us and, uh, and does its effective work and prepares us for life and for godliness. So this evening we're in 2 Kings chapter 21. I just want to remind everyone, though, that uh, as we get into the study this evening, or before we do, um, that this weekend we have a team uh, from Refuge that's going to Ensenada, Mexico, Baja California, and we're going on a missions trip. So please, please, I would uh, just uh, ask you to pray for the team. Uh, everything that uh, the team is going to put its hands to, um, the whole trip there, back, uh, and then while we're there in Mexico. So just a reminder about that. It's going to be just a wonderful time. Uh, but uh, again, we, we covet your prayers. 
All right, so 2 Kings chapter 21 is where we're at this evening. We continue our uh, study through the book of 2 Kings, and we'll learn about the reign of Manasseh and the, the, uh, the reign of his son, Amon, over Judah. So this is Judah. Uh, we're continuing on with Judah. Um, last week, we learned about Hezekiah, and so we continue in our study through uh, uh, 2 Kings, but uh, remain with uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, which includes Jerusalem. Now, we know that Hezekiah had brought about spiritual and national reform, but we will see how his sons, unfortunately, did not follow in his footsteps. He was a great example to follow, and yet his sons did not follow the example of their father, but rather undermined basically the faith of the Jewish nation. Uh, keep in mind, these are... The, the people of God, his chosen people, in what these kings did, that is, um, uh, the two, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Manasseh and Amon, his, his son, what they did was they, they undermined everything that uh, the, their father had done and therefore led them in wicked um, acts. And so, Let's pray and let's get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for the study of your word, this time that we get to set aside um, to read. And Lord, just as we know, hopefully give the sense to the word, Lord, that not only do we understand it in its context, Lord, but we also know how to apply it to our lives. Perhaps part of this would be a warning. Other parts would be encouragement, um, Lord, whether it be individually or corporately. Uh, within the relationships that we enjoy as far as marriage is concerned, also with others, Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, there are so many areas that you want to speak to us and work through, um, Lord, that we simply want to submit ourselves and subject ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth and teaches us all things that pertain to you. And so, Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1, says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, uh, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now, normally we read this regarding the kings of Israel, not so much the kings of Judah. And yet here we begin the chapter 21, learning about Manasseh, who was Hezekiah's son. And he did what was despicable in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was wicked in the eyes of the Lord, just like the northern kingdom was accustomed to doing as they had turned their eyes from the Lord and walked in their own ways. Now, Manasseh was very young when he assumed the throne of Judah, and he reigned for 55 years. So this was no short term. This wasn't two months, two weeks, two years. This was 55 years. And Manasseh proved to be one of the most wicked kings that Judah ever had. But I would like to point out a few things regarding Manasseh and his reign before we continue. First of all, the assumption of a high position does not imply or automatically declare sound character and integrity. 
Sometimes we simply look at the position and believe this to be implied, to be true. Number two, preceding character does not automatically transfer to the person proceeding. It doesn't automatically transfer. Thirdly, longevity of a position is not evidence of God's blessing or God's approval. You know, sometimes we look to these types of things and we think, you know, well, the one who reigned two months was not blessed and the one who reigned for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years was blessed. Not necessarily true because longevity of position is not evidence of God's blessing or God's approval. Number four, a corrupt ruler does not need to be followed just because he is the ruler. He does not need to be followed. You know, sometimes we believe that, you know, in, um, in honoring certain people in positions of authority, that we automatically, it's implied that we automatically are to follow them. Let me ask you this, if a ruler or a person of authority would ask you to sin, would you still follow them? I hope it's a resounding no, because we are not to follow that at all. Come what may, we cannot. For who is the one, who do we belong to, number one? We belong to that ruler, that position? No, not, no. We belong to God. We just read Romans 12.1. We are a sacrifice unto the Lord. We belong to him. He purchased us with the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Sometimes we ask for more time. And most of you, if not all of you, know that I also work for a hospital. And I know that physicians can actually... um, they can make life longer. They can make you live longer with certain medicines, with machines, with just different things that they have at their disposal. But think about this. When you're asking for more time or longevity in your life, keep in mind Hezekiah. Hezekiah got... Not one, not two, not five, not ten, but he got 15 more years added to his life. It was in the extension of his life that his son, Manasseh, was born. When did he assume the throne? At the age of 12 years old. So that means that within those 15 years, his son Manasseh was born. And he was considered one of the most wicked kings that Judah ever had. You could say he would have been better having no other sons than to have had Manasseh and lead everyone astray. Because Manasseh led Judah in what was evil, participating in, facilitating the contemptuous practices of the nations whom the Lord had actually driven out from before Israel. He's the one that led them. He facilitated them. He, he helped them to participate in those wicked acts, what we have already heard described as despicable before, before the Lord. The very things that the nations around them 
had been in practice doing and had been driven out by the Lord before the people of Israel. It was for their evil practices that God devoted these nations to destruction. Exodus chapter 22, verse 20 says, Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. And God did not say this because he's, he's jealous of other gods, but because there is no other way to know eternal life but by having faith in him. You see, to do, to participate in those things is to remain in condemnation and therefore already be devoted to destruction. And any nation that continues to lead people down a path of destruction was eventually judged. Luke chapter 17 verse 2 says, It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. And this is why the Lord calls on everyone to worship Him alone. To know salvation by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To not remain in our condemnation. To not remain on the path to eternal destruction. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, in the case of Manasseh, it was his evil practices that he gave himself to. And he led the people to do the very same things. And so you could say that Luke 17, 2 applied to him. It was fitting. And so let's continue verse 3. For he, built, he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made he set in the house, of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. You know, <clears throat> again, keep in mind, these are God's people. Manasseh didn't take his, his views his inclinations, his desires. He didn't go to another people, another nation to do these things. He chose to do them 
right there and with his own people. In doing so, he opposed all the work that his father had done. But more importantly, he had in that time, from the very beginning, opposed the very work of God. But everything that his dad had done, the reforms, spiritually and nationally, they were all undermined, they were all undone, but they were radically and violently and wickedly dismantled. Sometimes we think, oh, well, there's a little bit of compromise isn't so bad. We're, we're gonna, we got to think differently. Anything that is opposed to God is, is violent toward that which is honoring to God. Uh, it, it seeks to destroy. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing gentle about any of that. Nothing at all. This king brought back and rebuilt all the high places of worship. Basically, this is what he was saying, just with that. Just as we had done before, we could do again. Y'all could worship God however you want. You can do whatever you want, however, whenever. Just go do it. I know that it's prescribed for us to worship here in the temple, in this place where the Ark of the Covenant is. But oh no, that's, that's too restrictive. You can worship wherever and however you please. God hears. But he constructed idols. Declared that any and all gods were free to be worshipped. These are God's people. This is the king of Judah. He was saying, any and all gods, anything goes. Manasseh even defiled the house of the Lord by bringing in false gods, erecting altars to them. Blasphemous. And even burned his own sons as an offering. He did this himself. Manasseh went to the the psychics, the fortune tellers, the astrologers, and even practiced seances. And we see here that he did everything to provoke the Lord to anger. All of this provoked the Lord to anger. The people were just going along with it. Look at verse 9 once again. Remember, they could have all rebelled. They could have all chosen to do something different. But verse 9 says, but they did not listen. They, the people. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. But notice, you've got to ask the question, what did they not listen to? The word of God. They ignored it. They rebelled against it and acted in opposition to it. 
Perhaps they were flippant about it. Maybe, maybe they thought nothing would happen. There would be no judgment, no discipline. But before you cast judgment on them at this day, at this very moment, you know we're inclined to do the very same thing. This is the tendency of anyone who does not deliberately and consistently draw close to the Lord. Just spend a while away from this. And by the way, if you're not in the Word daily, uh, you have a greater tendency to, to be led astray, to be confused, to, to doubt, uh, to be brought out of the fellowship of, uh, with the Lord and with the fellowship of the saints and, and brought into the, the system of the world in very short order. That's why... You know, and I'm going to share a few scriptures with you, a few verses. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Genesis 4.7, uh, Considering Cain and Abel. God was speaking to Cain. And he said this in Genesis 4.7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? Even then, God was giving Cain an opportunity to repent. That's what would have been the good thing to do. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God didn't say, I will destroy it. It will be no more. God was saying, you have a part to play. You must choose that which is right over that which is wrong. But Cain should have been, and what would be required of him to do this is to be clear-minded, to know the truth, to desire the honor and glory of God over fulfilling his own will and his own desires. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Again, that goes back to you got to wholeheartedly give yourself to the Lord. You have to wholeheartedly seek the Lord genuinely and desire Him and His will over you and your will. Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And James 4, 8 it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Normally we stop there, but listen, the whole, this is the, the whole verse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What he's saying is, I know, I know, listen, we're sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can be double-minded. And yet he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. This is why we need to be mindful of ourselves before God. And then subject ourselves. That has to be an exercise of the will. Subject ourselves to the authority of God. We will never go wrong. I, I know sometimes we, you know, the, the whole thing with what Manasseh has done. And he's rebuilt all the high places and all that. 
And we seek to go to a place to where we can do whatever we want and worship God however we want and not really be mindful of how he has prescribed for us to worship him because we feel free in that sense, but yet we're confused and we're led astray. We're not worshiping God right. We, we, we believe like everyone else is telling us that that's restrictive. And it's not. It's the most freeing thing. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And the Spirit will not lead us into error. He leads us into truth. When you know you're walking uprightly before the Lord and worshiping Him the way He has prescribed for us to worship Him according to His Word, there's no doubting. You, you, you know you're in the right place with the Lord. No, we need to be mindful of ourselves before God and subject ourselves to his authority over us in every area of life. We need to be mindful of the impact we can and will have on others in their relationship with the Lord. Because not only did Manasseh participate in the despicable and wicked practices of all the other nations around him, but he led God's people to do the very same thing. Perhaps they were easily led down the path of destruction because they had a weak faith to begin with. One of the things I so desire for you here at Refuge is that you would be strong. You'd be able to discern that if, God forbid, I were to stray away from sound doctrine, that you'd be able to pick it up just like that. You would, number one, confront me. And number two, if, if it's not resolved, that you would run. That you, you'd please leave this place. Leave this fellowship. But I, I desire that this church be well-grounded in sound doctrine. That we would be able to discern. Because listen, this is what the church should be. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So perhaps there are some groups of people that can be led astray because for the most part, people are weak in their faith. I, I pray that you are students of the word, that you get into the word daily and you're able to discern and you're building each other up according to Sound doctrine. The people here in 2 Kings 21 were indeed weak in their faith. And in this time of them choosing to do that which was wicked, which was despicable, was leading quickly to God's judgment. God's judgment was very, very, very close. We'll see as we continue verse 10. And the Lord said by his servants... 
the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. Because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt and even to this day. And so it is that God's judgment is declared. Now, these are people who God has appointed to speak, to be his mouthpiece. And yet, these were the very people whom God had sent and his people rejected. But they did indeed declare judgment. That judgment was coming. God declared that Judah had done more evil than all the Amorites before them. This for them was very significant. This should have really uh, stirred them up. It should have just really broken them in that very moment. Because they knew exactly what it meant. This means that they were more violent, more twisted, more vile, more immoral. They were more depraved than the Amorites were known for. And this is what the Amorites were known for. Can you imagine, you know, hey, listen. Whoever it is, like some group of people that were known to be vile and depraved and debased in mind and all that. Can you imagine, hey, you people of refuge, you like are worse than them. Wow, that should... That should shock us, shouldn't it? It's like, wow, are, are we really that bad? Do we really look like it? It should, have, it should have shocked them, is what it should have done. This was the prophet of God that was sent to the people of God to warn them. Judgment was coming. Because they had surpassed the Amorites in their despicable and evil practices. God declared not light judgment, not a little slap on the hand, but severe judgment. Upon hearing about what was about to come, the people who would hear about their judgment, it would, their ears would tingle. In other words, they, they would be shocked. They would actually be in disbelief is what this prophet was telling them they will be in utter disbelief because God declared that he was about to hand them over into the hands of the nations that they cho- that they they had chosen over him you know those all those nations that you want to participate in their in their sin and their idolatry like well I'm going to give you over to them In fact, the way he described this, it says, um, 
And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, clean. I'll take my land, Jerusalem, Judah, this land, and I will wipe it clean. And I will set it upside down. Listen, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he the same? Is he not the same yesterday, today, and forever? It doesn't change. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even though we are under grace regarding salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, why would we think that he would not cast severe judgment today upon a nation and a people that completely reject him? Why would we think that it would be any different today? You know that most nations in the world today have utterly rejected God, right? Our own country, the United States of America, has rejected God wholesale. From government, from schools, from work, marriages, homes. God have mercy on us. We need to pray for more people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Time is short. The days are getting darker. The day is far spent. We need to be doing the work of an evangelist. We need to have the answers of that hope that we have for the people who ask. There are more people who are are just ready. Because I don't believe that our judgment is far off. But I need to remind you this This also means that the return of Jesus coming for his bride is not far off. Look up, for your redemption draws near. In one sense, it's it's exciting because we know that in one moment, in just the twinkling of an eye, we will be in the presence of our Lord. But also keep in mind those who are still here, those who are lost, they don't know that hope. So that's why we need, to be, we need to be busy getting to doing the work of an evangelist, discipling one another. That is helping each other uh, learn how to be followers of Jesus Christ, drawing closer to the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, the shedding of innocent blood implies that the people that were murdered uh, were number one, young, and number two, godly. That's what that implies, innocent. Uh, They're not deserving of death. They weren't guilty. They were innocent. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, 
It says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, as we read that, it is believed that the one that is referred to here as having been sawn in two was none other than the prophet Isaiah. This is what is described to have been happening during this time. <clears throat> Coming back to our country. Now, worldwide, just in this year, there have been, worldwide, over 530,000 abortions. At, at this moment, you can go and you can look at this. This thing just continues to click, 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 and go up. Abortions, 1973 to present in the USA. Do you guys know the number? Over 63 million. 63 million. Is this not innocent lives? Absolutely. Let, let me explain to you the progression of idolatry. And it has all been idolatrous. When idolatry is tolerated among God's people, so that's the first thing. When, when, when idolatry is tolerated among God's people, the world, of course, we, we cannot expect anything different, right? But when idolatry is tolerated among God's people, it progresses to its promotion. So, tolerated, promoted. Directly or indirectly, it does not matter. Passive or by neglect, it does not matter. Then it progresses to being actually supported. Supported. Yeah, supported. And even funded. It's like th th we get to a point where it's just compromise. It's just like, you know, we're, we're blind to it. We, uh, there's no more watchmen on the wall. There's no discernment whatsoever. That, that's when we're actually even, we're supporting, we're, we're even funding it. This is again among God's people. And then the worship of God is undermined. It is destroyed. And then from there, true worshipers are persecuted. And may even be murdered, martyred. God's people considered enemies. And sit tight because this is when you know judgment is coming. Listen, Manasseh did this throughout his 55-year reign. The U.S. has been practicing, and this is just, and I just bring up abortion. There's so, so much going on right now. It's, I mean, to allow destruction of property, the, the, the murder of people, and lawlessness to happen, as I've brought up here shortly, and I do from time to time, 
to allow all of that, and then for, for people to just go free, it's just, it's just so much. But, but the U.S., in regards to abortion, has been practicing the murder of babies for 49 years. And the people are depraved, having debased minds bent on evil. We even have God's people defending and arguing for why it is that this is okay. I don't understand. There's a strong delusion. Deception. Convenience is not sufficient to justify the ending of a life. And it is, for the most part, convenience. It's, it's a method of birth control, sadly. But that is true. I was, see, you see, I was once, one day, if you can believe, back... Uh, I, w- I was in that age to where, you know, the young adult and, and there was a lot of partying. And, and I understood that in that scene, that is used as birth control. There's no doubt about it. That is sad. And we are guilty. And that's why we need to continue to seek the Lord. That's why we need to shed light on what is true. We need to stand on the side of righteousness. And we need to lead people to Christ more and more. Because just as Manasseh had done, so it is happening today in our world. But let's continue. Verse 17 says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon, his son, reigned in his place. Now, this was indeed a terrible legacy to leave behind. But I do want to draw your attention to something Manasseh did at the end of his life that is not recorded here in 2 Kings chapter 21. For that, we turn our attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. So please turn it with me, 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Now, we can all agree that Manasseh acted wickedly, right? We can all agree that he led the people to sin. It was, it was gross sin, despicable, wicked. But this is what he did. So 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and we're going to go to verse 10. says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. We, we've gone through that. We know that. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders uh, of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains and of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father's. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now let's go on. Verse 14, Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gion in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. 
He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities in Judah. And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel and his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and his faithlessness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his father's and they buried him in his house, and Amon his son reigned in his place. He turned. Although Manasseh did not follow in his father's footsteps, but instead did the very opposite, remember this, he was brought up in a godly home, with a godly father who did indeed set an example and when judgment came Manasseh knew exactly what to do and who to seek and who to humble himself before I was merciful and good God it took him being captured and brought to Babylon but he knew what to do in that very moment when afflicted, he humbled himself and God answered his prayer and restored him to his place of reigning over Judah. He proved that it was indeed a genuine repentance. That is, Manasseh proved that it was indeed a genuine repentance. That's why I point out often, and I want to do it often, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can apply 1 John 1.9 to this right there. And it fits, doesn't it? If we can't confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At that very moment, it pleased God that he would confess his sins, ask him for forgiveness, humble himself before God, and he returned him to Jerusalem and in the position of being king over Judah. That is remarkable given everything that Manasseh had done up to that point, isn't it? It's remarkable. From there, he did everything he could to reverse everything he had done. But everything wasn't restored to what it was before. You could say in this moment, not that it didn't have, it, was, it wasn't good, but it was too little too late. It was wonderful that he repented, but the impact of a compromised life had taken full effect and people did not turn from their sin completely. They still compromised. Hey, listen, I know this is a tough lesson to learn, but one that should serve us today. Do not think that you can live like a heathen 
in the world and, and then not think that it's going to have lasting effects on your life. Don't think that you can live that way like the world and then turn to the Lord later on in your life and think that it won't have lasting effects on those around you. Galatians 6, 7, and 9, 7 through 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We absolutely pray that the effects of our lives before Christ have no lasting effects on our friends and family. And especially pray that we don't backslide and impact others with our faithlessness to the point of drawing them even away from the Lord. But this is a great example to be warned by. Because in the case of Manasseh and the whole kingdom of Judah, they were still living in compromise, even though Manasseh did all of this. And so it should serve us as a warning. Be careful. Do not go where Manasseh did. Do not think that living in the world and then coming back to the Lord will not have lasting effects. Well, verse 19 now we look at his son. Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jotba. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord." How sad that although Manasseh had repented, his son absolutely did not. In fact, it says in verse 22 that he abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And so he himself hardened his heart against the Lord. He completely rejected him, utterly rejected him, and did not at any moment repent. It was his choice to do so. But there's no doubt. There's no, and this, this is the sad commentary. There's no doubt that his father's action had some influence in his life. He made the choice of going one way and not the other. And so that's something that, of course, we want to avoid at all costs. We want to be consistently serving the Lord and being faithful to him. You know, 2 Chronicles 33, 23 says that he did not humble himself. That is, Ammon, before the Lord, as his father had, but rather sinned more and more and more. He not only didn't repent, but he, he continued to put sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. He kept going in that direction. And so verse 23 says, And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house, or and, and put the yeah conspired against him and put the uh, king to death in his house. But the people uh, of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah his son reigned in his place.
Now, this final portion of this chapter um, actually is a good turn for the people of Israel or Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, As Ammon followed in the footsteps of the kings of Israel, so the plot to assassinate the king uh, is also like what was common to the northern kingdom. Uh, This was common. Uh, There would be a group of people that would conspire to assassinate the king, and therefore they would uh, have someone else assume the throne. And so it was the same thing that was happening in the case of Judah and with Ammon. Now, the people, though, acted on this. In all of those who conspired to assassinate King Ammon went and killed all of them. This was wrong to do. This was not something that they had the authority to do. And so the people turned on those that had conspired to do this very thing, this wicked act. Now, this was good on the part of the people. And now with Josiah, we will actually see some good things happen with the people of Judah. And we'll see that next week. Now, I want to say this to conclude. It's interesting how it seems that the Lord had given the people to what they had desired for 57 years. 55 years uh, under Manasseh, and then for two years under King Ammon, his son. All things that, remember, the, the, the people desired in their own hearts. As soon as Manasseh started leading them in these wicked practices, they went right along with it. And now, it's interesting, now that they had acted to do something that was right, that is, put an end to something that was wicked, now the Lord brings about Josiah, and we'll see some good things take place, and we'll see that next week. We as God's people can simply hope and pray for God's grace and mercy, and do that which is right, not in the world's eyes, but that which is right in God's eyes. Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for your word. Lord, as we consider these things that we have gone over, Lord, I pray that you are continually patient with us, Lord. I know that we do not deserve any more time. And yet, Lord, we we plead with you, Lord, that you would be merciful, Lord, that you would be gracious, Lord, And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a boldness and a confidence by the Spirit and according to your word to to communicate the gospel to as many people as we possibly can. That they would choose salvation, they would choose eternal life in Jesus Christ and that more people would come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, be with us, your church. I I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be a strong people built up in sound doctrine, that we would be discerning, and, Lord, that we would be the most loving and kind-hearted church, Lord, fellowship. Lord, we can have both because we see that in you. Let us not tolerate sin, but in in our own lives, Lord. Uh, But let us be, help us to be humble, 
repentive. And Lord, at the same time, confident in our salvation and the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, may you be glorified and honored in and through your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.